Scripture comes from Romans 15 this morning. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, it's such a, such a joy. Thank you so much for this opportunity, God, to dive into your word, to see Paul as an example, to see how you used Paul to share the gospel to the nations. Pray that we would be inspired by this example, Lord. I pray that our lives would be shaped and molded by your word. God, thank you so much for this fellowship. Thank you so much for this church, God. What a blessing it is to be with your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul's starting to wind down his letter. We're coming to the end. He's winding down, but the richness is still there. The richness of this text is still there to be had. And we're going to see just a feast of principles from Paul's life as he is planning out his visit to Rome. See, in Romans 1 to 11, we get the theology, right? We get the theology, and then in chapter 12, it pivots. And from 12 to 15, we see the practical application. And here, in today's passage, it's something pretty unique. And then we get to see Paul's life as he lived on mission. We get to see how he actually did it and what he actually did. We get to see it really fleshed out. We get to see how Paul lived on mission. So to continue with Blake's uh, letter P alliteration from last week, we're going to continue in that trend. So our four points is going to be, we're going to see Paul's purpose. We're going to see his plan. We're going to see partnership. And we're going to see prayer. So first, Paul's purpose. Was Paul's purpose. This reason, this is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. What's the reason? We'll go to verse 19. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. What's the reason? He's been working. He's been working hard. As Blake put it last week, he's been putting in some sanctified sweat. That's why he's been hindered in coming. He's been wanting to see the church at Rome, but he's been hindered. And then verse 23, 
But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Let's break down how big of a statement that first statement is. <laughs> I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What? That's, that's, when you first hear that, it sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? He doesn't have any, like, no more work to be done, really? Like, what are you doing, Paul? Like, don't you know that you can do work wherever there are churches? You can, even if there are Christians there, you can still be laboring, you can still be doing work? But he says, I, have, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Well, the reason why is because in verse 19, his purpose is to preach Christ. My ambition is to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. So that's his purpose. His purpose is to go to the unreached. His purpose, Paul's purpose, is to go and plant churches where Christ has not yet been named. To boldly go where the gospel has not gone before. His call is to pioneer. 1 Corinthians 3 affirms this. Blake shared this last week. Paul planted. I, Paul, planted. Apollos watered, but Christ gave the growth. Christ gave the increase. Paul was a planter of churches in regions that have no access to the gospel. But why Spain? That sounds kind of random. Like, did Spain exist back then? Like, what, why is Paul wanting to go there? Well, yeah, it did exist. Uh, but... We can, there's a few reasons why I think Paul wanted to go to Spain specifically. First one is just think back to Acts 1.8. Jesus' last words to the apostles, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So when Paul sees the Roman Empire, maybe they had a map, when he sees the Roman Empire, which is really the known world at this time, he says, okay, where is the end of this world? In Spain, if you're picturing a map up here, Spain is way over here at the end of the earth as he knew it. Because remember, the Americas hadn't been discovered yet. Most of Africa hadn't been explored yet. Most of Asia hadn't been explored yet. Especially not, for sure, not Australia so really the known world was the Roman Empire. Also, when you go to the ends of the earth, the other apostles like Thomas, he was, uh, church history tells us that he was, he went to India, he went to Asia. And then Bartholomew and Philip, they went to North Africa. And so all the other apostles, they're kind of going Eastern, Paul wanted to go west. He wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go to the unreached. And when I say unreached, I, th I think sometimes in today's world, us living in Abilene, Texas, we can kind of, we can get tricked into thinking that this kind of work no longer exists. Does this kind of work still exist where Christ has not been named yet? Hasn't, hasn't the name of Christ gone everywhere? Haven't we sent out missionaries all over the globe? 
I mean, here in Abilene, it's easy to think that because everyone's Christian, right? Everyone's at least heard of Jesus, right? Most of them heard the gospel. And a lot of them have repented and believe. So to help us define Paul's mission with today's vocabulary, we're going to be talking about unreached people groups for this section. Now, when I say unreached people groups, some of y'all may know what I'm talking about and others may not. So let me just share some definitions here. We're going to get a little nerdy, but hang with me. Got to define what we're talking about here when I say unreached people groups. Okay? So people group. What is a people group? What do I mean when I say unreached people groups? Well, people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without barriers of understanding or acceptance. So what does that mean? Let's break it down a little bit. It's, it's really, it's a group of people who share the, enough of the same culture that you can plant a church and there's not going to be a hindrance of culture. There's two aspects here, culture and language. The next one is that they speak the same language, that they can share the gospel and churches can be planted within this people group. So they may or may not be of the same tribe, but they're still part of the same people group. They may or may not even be of the same religion, but they're of the same people group. They share common language and common cultural similarities. So what about the size of people groups? How big are people groups? Well, people groups can range from 10 people, like the Sentinel tribe on Sentinel Island near India. There's estimated about 10 to 50 people there. And they're their own people group because they're on their own, they have their own culture, they have their own language, and that's where they stay. They're their own people group. But it can also be as big as 135 million. And that's the, the Sheikh people who live in Bangladesh. 135 million. Blake talked about this some last week. He, he shared, he mentioned the Joshua Project. Now, everyone in this room, if you haven't explored it yet, go look at Joshua Project and download their app. They help bring the gospel task of the unreached people groups. They help bring definition to this task, okay? Go download that app. I highly recommend it. And they say that of these people groups, they say that there are, every, everybody in the, in the globe belongs to a people group. And they say that there's about 17,400 people groups. So like it or not, people from Lubbock and people from College Station, y'all have a lot of cultural differences, but you're still part of the same people group. And, but, I mean, there may be hindrances there, right, between uh, may not be able to plant churches and cross over, right, because of cultural differences. But you're able to. Y'all are part of the same people group. Joshua Project also estimates that there, of these 17,400 people groups, there are 7,400 that are unreached. Now, what does that mean? When I say unreached, what does that mean? I've got another definition for you. An unreached people group is a people group whose number of followers of Christ and amount of resources make outside assistance necessary to reach the rest of the group with the gospel. They have to have help from the outside to plant churches. Usually what this means, if you look at a people group, so say the Sheikh tribe in Bangladesh, there's 135 million of them. Usually what this means is that 2% or less of the population are believers. That's usually what that means. What it also means is when you go up to a person who's in an unreached people group, you say, hey, 
my name's Cody. You won't be able to speak the same language most likely, but say we're able to. Hey, my name's Cody. I want to tell you about Jesus. They'd be like, who's Jesus? Well, you know, the guy in the Bible, right? You know the Bible? What's the Bible? That's what we're talking about here with the unreached. They don't know the gospel. They don't know Jesus. And at this point, they have no hope unless outside resources come. They have no hope of hearing the gospel. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all following me? Unreached people groups is a big deal because this is, this is where Paul was called. We're trying to use modern day language to help us wrap around Paul's purpose and his mission. Blake shared last week that there's 7.75 billion people in the, in the world. That includes you, me, all of us in the room and everyone in the globe. 7.75 billion people. That's a big number. Any number above 1,000, my brain kind of wigs out. I, I can't really grasp that. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of people. What does that mean? You know, like, it's, it's hard to have, like, conceive of that, right? He also said that of those 7.75 billion, 3.22 billion are considered unreached. 3.22 billion in the globe today, estimated, are considered unreached. When you hear 3.22 billion, it's really hard to grasp that. And so to help illustrate, I give you a golf ball. Say that this golf ball is an unreached person. So in order to illustrate this, we would need 3.22 billion golf balls, right? How much is that? Well, say you got all the golf balls in the world and say it was 3.22 billion golf balls and you had them in a big, a big bag. And you went out here on the South 7th and you got a golf ball. You laid it out in the street and got the next golf ball. You laid it next to it. You start making a line of golf balls. Making a line of golf balls. How many would 3.22 billion be? The line of golf balls, the 3.22 billion golf balls, would reach from right outside these doors to Karachi, Pakistan. After it had gone around the globe three times. So that line of golf balls would wrap around the globe three and a half times. Why bring this up? Why well, talk about unreached people groups? Because this is Paul's purpose. His purpose is to go to the unreached. People that we have sent out from Southside, their purpose is to go to the unreached. They have been sent, they've been sent out to the unreached. We have to be about the unreached. That's our mission field. We have to understand what our mission field is. We have to understand what's out there before we go. This is who Paul was called to. His purpose was to plant churches among the unreached. What's your purpose? If you are called, if you feel like God is, is working in your heart and desire to be burdened and broken for these kinds of people, we want to help be a part of that. I'm going to talk about how you can really get involved later on. So Paul, his purpose was to go to the unreached in Spain. He was going to stop by Rome to seek support from them, right? So we see Paul's purpose. Now let's look at his plan. How is he going to do this? How is he going to go about reaching the unreached? Verse 24. 
I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So put yourselves in the shoes of the Roman church right here. And they hear this. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. They're like, yes, Paul's coming. Party. That's awesome. That's amazing. They'd be super excited to hear that Paul is coming to them. But then a couple words later, he kind of gives them a big letdown when he says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. So he wants to see them. He can't wait to see them. He wants to be there. He wants to be in the fellowship with one another. But first, he's got to fulfill a mission that's been many years in the making. See, a way for Paul to prove his legitimacy as a, an apostle to the Gentiles, he was commissioned by the elders in Jerusalem, by the disciples, by the apostles in Jerusalem to go to the Gentiles in Asia Minor and Greece and raise money for the poor back in Jerusalem. So this is a, long, a long-term mission. He's got to go around and plant churches and raise money to help the poor back in Jerusalem. So he starts planting these churches. He goes throughout Greece and Asia Minor, starts planting churches. And then he goes back and visits those churches and raises money after he's planted them. So for example, he plants the church in Corinth. He moves on to another city. And then he hears about all the shenanigans that's happening in Corinth and writes 1 and 2 Corinthians. He writes these letters to them, whipping them back into shape. But also in part, you look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, also, in part, it was to raise money. It was teaching them how to be generous with their finances. He's teaching them how to be generous with the finances so that he can come back, gather up some of the finances that they're able to give so that he can take it back to Jerusalem. Got tracking? You'll see in his plan here and, and what he's doing. So he plants the church. He leaves. He writes the, the letters for 2 Corinthians. And then he goes back to raise the money to Corinth. What else does he do while he's in Corinth? He writes the book of Romans. This is, Corinth is his last stop before returning back to Jerusalem. So he's, he's writing the book of Romans and he's raising money to go back to Jerusalem. So picture this, picture like I'm in Corinth right here. Just kind of get a visual. We've already pictured a map up here. So Paul has to go all the way back to Jerusalem, all the way over here, take a 2,000 mile detour all, to go all the way back over to Rome, which is over here in Italy, to eventually go all the way to Spain. This wasn't a hop, skip, and a jump plane ride away. This is a long process. And then he says, he pretty blatantly hints at here that he needs financial means to carry out his purpose of going to Spain. He says, uh, that I may be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So their, their financial help would be necessary for him to go to Spain. All right, so we saw his purpose. He's called to the unreached. We see his plan. He's got to go first go to Jerusalem and then back to Rome. Now what? Let's take a, take a, take a breather. He is going to, we're going to look at how he fulfills this plan. And it's really through partnership. That's our third point, Partnership. His purpose, his plan, and how does he fulfill his plan? Partnership. Verses 26 to 29. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. 
for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has also been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul brings up these churches in Greece, these Gentile churches in Greece, and uses them as an example the churches of Macedonia and Achaia, they're an example of how to give and how to give generously. He says they gave and they were pleased to do it. They were excited. They were happy. They were joyful to do it, to give. That's kind of also a, a, kind of a nudge in the, with the elbow to, hey, you see their example? When I come back around, I need y'all to give like that when I come see y'all. And he says, they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. How did these random Gentile churches owe anything to the church in Jerusalem? Why did they owe anything to the church that's thousands of miles away? Flip over to Romans 11. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. What's he saying here? Seeing that the Gentiles were grafted in because of the Jewish unbelief. They were grafted in. They were brought into the family of faith. Salvation was promised to Abraham's descendants of faith. So because, of, because the Gentiles, because they grasped this, that they were, they were brought into this family of faith, these Gentile churches were glad to give money to Jerusalem. Why is this? Let's, let's summarize this. Because they've been blessed spiritually, their spiritual blessings have material byproducts. Their spiritual blessings have material byproducts. So like for us, we have been blessed in the richest way through salvation in Christ. Because of that, we can be generous with our finances. We can give and give gladly and generously because of our hope is not in bank accounts or plastic. Our hope is in a resurrected Savior. It's so encouraging to see this take place at Southside. Even in the midst of a pandemic, we're thriving financially thanks to God's grace through your giving. Praise God for that. So these Gentile churches partnered together to support the Jewish church in need. One of the best ways that we can practically do something similar now is through cooperative Partnership, cooperative giving. 
We as a church, let me put it to you this way. We as a church, as Southside Baptist Church, we might be able to support one foreign missionary. It'd be close, just one. We wouldn't be able to do a family. But because of cooperative giving to the Southern Baptist Convention, we have been able to send three couples fully paid, fully funded to go be missionaries internationally. What a blessing that is. And it's not only that, it's not only the International Mission Board. International Mission Board is the sending agency of the Southern Baptist Convention. Y'all tracking with me? So we give to the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not just the IMB though. We get to plant churches in North America through North American Mission Board, NAM. We're able to, um, if you're a member of a Southern Baptist church, you can go to a Southern Baptist seminary at a 50% discount. Not to mention disaster relief and local mission options that we can take advantage of through cooperative programs. All right, college graduates and soon to be college graduates, listen up. Did you know if you're a college graduate, you can go spend two years as a missionary overseas as a journeyman through the IMB and get paid to do it. You can be fully funded to do it. If you're a graduating senior, maybe newly married, it should just be a given, like in your minds. You know what? Once I graduate, I'm going. I'm going to give my two years. I'm going to go. Why not? The Mormons do it. They give their two years. It should just be a given to us that we go, that we're like, I'm just, I'm going to go. I'm going to get paid to do it. You don't have to fundraise. It's an amazing opportunity. Amazing opportunity. You get to have experience. You get to reach the unreached because of cooperative partnership. What a blessing. There's also, you can take short-term trips through cooperative program at a discounted rate. You can also go midterm or long-term, always fully funded through the IMB. It's just an amazing benefit. And we're seeing how churches in the first century cooperated together. They partnered together to help support other churches. We can do the same thing here, like cooperative program with the IMB and Southern Baptist Convention. Look at his language there. Once Paul has completed his task, he looks forward to experience, what does he say? The fullness of the blessing of Christ. The fullness of the blessing of Christ. What does that mean? This is more of a spiritual encouragement. It's really a, a spiritual partnership. It's going to be encouraging whenever we see each other. I look forward to it, to experience the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And that's something that we get to experience every Sunday morning. That's what we get to have whenever we gather together. We get to experience the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Because we have the fullness of Christ through salvation, we get to experience it tangibly in community with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on a weekly basis. So we see the example of partnership among the churches in Paul's day, which still really can continue in today's world. Look at how he ends it here. He ends with our fourth point, prayer. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. 
Amen. So he does ask for financial help, right? I would be helped on my way to go to Spain. But look how he ends. He ends in prayer. He asks really for two things. He asks for prayer in two things. And he says, not just pray, not just kind of pray, not just kind of throw it up before dinner. He says, strive together with him in prayer. That number one, he may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. And number two, that the contribution he had been collecting may be acceptable to the elders in Jerusalem. So that may be acceptable to the saints. Now, we got to learn some history here. Remember Paul's last interaction in Jerusalem. What happened last time he was in Jerusalem? Jews were seeking to kill him, and he was spared through the apostles and fellow believers sneaking him out. They snuck him out of Jerusalem. He was spared. So to go back to Jerusalem is a bold statement for Paul. And that's why he needs prayer. He needs prayer to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that he may be delivered because it's dangerous. He's risking his life going back to fulfill this mission of raising money. So we don't know. His second request was to, that the gift, the contribution would be acceptable, right? That it would be acceptable to the elders. We don't know if it was accepted, but based off of his ministry to the Gentiles and based on the fact that he's collecting a lot of money from all these other churches to bring back to the poor and the fact that he's returning under a lot of peril and danger, we can, we can assume that it was accepted by the elders. We can assume that this prayer was answered and that it was accepted by the elders. All we know, though, from Scripture is in Acts 24, 17, is that he dropped it off. He returned to Jerusalem. He dropped it off. And what does he do once he drops off the contribution? He goes to the temple. He goes to the ceremonial cleansing. And while there in the temple, he almost gets torn apart by a mob trying to kill him. But was saved by Roman guards. He gets saved by Roman guards, and what's happened? What happens after that? He gets taken and put on trial in Caesarea. And they're trying to work with him, and they're, they're, he didn't want to be released because he was like, there's a good chance I'm going to get killed if I get released. So God protected him through their sentence. And their sentence was this. He's going to be put in prison for two years. So Paul's plan goes very differently than how he planned it. He gets put in prison in Caesarea for two years. But think about it. All through this time, while he's in prison, who can we assume is praying for him and striving together with him in prayer? We can assume that's the church in Rome. Praise God for that. You never know what's happening. You never know what's going on when we're praying for other believers. So eventually he gets let out of prison. New management comes into town. After two years, new management, they, um, they, have, they see his trial again. They put him under trial. And what does he do? Being a Roman citizen, he says, I appeal to Caesar. I don't want you to let me go to these people. They're going to kill me. I got to keep going. And I got to keep going to Rome. So I appeal to Caesar. Think about God's sovereign irony here. He doesn't have to raise a red cent for that trip to Rome. 
He is a Roman prisoner and gets a one-way ticket to Rome thanks to the Roman government. That's amazing. But of course, not after doing a six-month journey at sea, only to be shipwrecked, only to be almost killed on the island of Malta by getting bit by a viper. But God spared him and he was able to share the gospel with that whole island. And then he eventually gets taken to Rome. He finally ends up in Rome. And all through that, all through that, we can assume that this church in Rome should, should have been at least, been, and they probably were, striving together with him in prayer. A really practical way that you can strive together, even in a specific way, our missionary partners overseas, a specific way that you can do that is by using our membership guide. All of our partners are in there. I encourage you, please pray regularly for our people that we have sent out and people that we have partnered with who are doing building God's kingdom overseas. Pray regularly. You can do that through our membership guide. So he eventually puts, uh, arrives in Rome, gets put under house arrest. So we don't, we don't know really what, what's going on here based off the book of Romans, but because of the book of Acts, we can see what happened. Go ahead and turn to Acts 28. Go ahead and look, turn to the last chapter in Acts. So Paul, after shipwrecks and put in prison for two years, getting bit by vipers, he arrives in Rome and gets put under house arrest. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 28. So he's there under house arrest and the Jews come to him and they're questioning. They're trying to check him out and see what he's about. So when they... Jews had appointed a day for him. They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Let's talk about the Jews. So he, he shares with them the gospel. He shares with them from the Old Testament, from the law and the prophets. And they didn't like what they saw, what they heard. Because he's talking about how they're going to be hardened, how the Jews are hardened. Then verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Why do I read this? Because this is the fruition of this plan of Paul's that we saw in our passage today. His, his plan ended here. It came to fruition here, preaching the gospel and with a huge promise. This salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
What an amazing promise. Paul, this influenced Paul as he is going to the nations. We see his example of how to live missionally. And he is this amazing example for us of how to live missionally. But remember, don't forget who he was. Just a few years ago, he was persecuting Christians. Just a few years ago, he was thrown, he was in charge, he was responsible for Stephen's death, stoning one of the first deacons in the church around, I mean, a church in Jerusalem. He was a persecutor of the Christians, and now he is an example. He is a pioneering example of living missionally as a Christian. So let's not marvel at how great Paul is. Let's marvel at our great king. The same king who called him, called Paul to the unreached, calls us today. The same king who richly blessed us in salvation causes us to richly bless others with physical means. The same king who heard the prayers of the saints in Rome and was steering the hearts of the rulers who imprisoned Paul, as well as the rudder that controlled the ship that eventually led him to Rome, is still king today. He is sovereign over all things. Let's be inspired by Paul's life to live on mission for our king. Wherever he calls us. Pray with me. Lord, help us to see the life of Paul, Paul's example here, and how just so many different principles, his love for the church his desire for the unreached. God, even just seeing your grace in church partnership and God seeing your grace and seeing how amazing you are through the working and faithfulness of prayer. Thank you for Paul. But God, thank you first and and foremost for the cross. I pray that we would be shaped and molded by your word. God, I pray that we will go and be obedient to wherever you call us. And for some of us, it may be to the unreached, just like Paul. For some of us, for the rest of us, it's to send those to those who do not know or will hear. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.